You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, September 23rd. Did you miss me, dear listener? I missed you. For where thou art, there is the world itself, and where thou art not, desolation. Rejoice all, we are back on our new weekly schedule, and we've got a new name, The Current Podcast. As much as I'd like to continue on quoting Shakespeare, I could do a whole episode of that, you know, we have an important interview to get to. To kick off this new iteration, please welcome Kevin Chow, Executive Director of Business Technology Services here in IT Services. This is Mark Hersberger. Today I'm joined by Kevin Chow. He's Executive Director of Business Technology Services. Kevin, welcome to the pod. How are you? Good. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, you got it. And how has your work from home experience been since March? So far, so good. Uh, I would say that I'm probably on the extroverted side. And so going from being on campus and seeing people and then having to suddenly make the transition to remote work, I thought was going to be a bit harder. Uh, and as it turned out, uh, there's quite a bit of benefit and, uh, and opportunity. So uh, it's definitely uh, working out well right now. You are a man on the move. My lasting image of you at PPCS is either pacing around on your cell phone or going over for coffee. So I hope you've been able to uh, replace those in the virtual environment somehow. Yeah, actually, uh, funny you should say that. I still pace uh, when I talk on the phone. It's just I pace in a much smaller confined space, not so much on the uh, balconies of Torrey Pine Center South, which uh, I do miss. But uh, it definitely is uh, an adjustment. First month was a lot harder and they just got gradually easier. And if you think back to, you know, whenever it was, when did you first realize that the COVID-19 would, would have a big impact? And, and what were your thoughts at that moment? The first day driving the work before the stay-at-home order was official. Uh, there was a period of time where it became obvious that we should probably social distance. And the stay-at-home order wasn't issued yet from the state. What really hit me was the fact that the commute was awesome, but yearly at the same time. I have a, about a 20-minute commute to and from work every day. If there was no traffic, uh, you add traffic in there, it's easily 45 minutes to an hour. And so that, that first time driving to work on a weekday before the stay-at-home order went out um, and the commute was great, that was probably the first time I realized, yeah, this is, this is a big deal. And how did you compute in your mind the impact a potential stay-at-home order would have on, you know, workflow and, and getting stuff done? You know, for ITS, uh, it seems to me like we're sort of leading the way and we're ahead of the curve, so to speak. And so I didn't really internalize any sort of immediate you know, this is going to impact work from a what we do for uh, for the university. But definitely, in many ways, uh, we have colleagues that do work on site. Uh, we have uh, a lot of human human to human interactions. Um, you know, obviously building rapport, building relationship, as well as uh, some of the conversations that just make more sense to be had in person. Those types of things uh, were top of mind. But for me, the most important thing was really focusing around 
around the staff that are performing essential functions that have to be on campus and whether those colleagues are going to be safe. And yeah, we want to hear, hear the leading up a lot of ESR work. We want to get some updates there, but in your, your BPS portfolio, there's a lot going on. So what are some of the, uh, the non-ESR accomplishments or news that you can share with the department? Well, I love the fact that we start here because uh, it's so easy to default to ESR over the last several years. It's been obviously a top priority, but there's a ton of things that are happening within the teams that I work with that most people don't realize is that ESR is just one of many things that uh, our team supports. We've had record numbers in student enrollment, research grants, and hitting a multi-billion dollar fundraising campaign goal two years early, not to mention billions of dollars in capital construction, opening of seventh college, and an endless list of projects. The show keeps going on uh, with or without ESR. And I think that point oftentimes gets missed uh, is that folks think that because ESR is happening, that must mean nothing else is. And the reality is there's a ton that's always going on. And it takes a lot of thought and a lot of care to making sure that the right things are continuing to be supported. And so some of the things that I reference here are just the big things. Uh, there's lots and lots of uh, optimizations, lots and lots of change requests that are still being supported across the campus enterprise. And these are just the ones that are top of mind. And uh, you know, transitioning to ESR, what is the general state of ESR at this moment, in your opinion? So timing is everything, right? And uh, the campus right now is working through that infamous change management J-curve uh, as we speak, and when it comes to UC Path and Finance. This is, uh, as we knew going into ESR, that the majority of the projects would be taking place in parallel. It is uh, the highest risk, the highest workload period of our roadmap. And by the end of this calendar year, we expect to wrap up the majority of the scope and getting past uh, this period of time. What's important right now to me is to make sure that we provide some level of relief for those of us and our colleagues that have been working nonstop and, uh, and, and really work deliberately to right-size the, the, the flow of work while we ramp down uh, many of the one-time project resources that have been brought on board over the last year and a half in order to support this crunch time. I think the, the important thing is to make sure that we're not maintaining the pace that we've been on because to me, it's not really sustainable uh, without you know, significantly altering the amount of resources that we have or how we do work. Uh, and that's something that we have to do to adjust and make sure that, that we're giving relief to staff members, especially those that are coming off of large projects and to recognize that despite going live, many of the systems are in stabilization and there's uh, round the clock work that's still happening today. And I'll confess, J-curve is a new term to me. What do you mean by that, Kevin? Yeah, so, uh, so the change management J-curve really speaks to the emotional state of individuals going through change, as well as their ability to be productive. And so uh, it looks like a J. And the reason why it looks like a J is because oftentimes when you go in to make an improvement, there is a period of adjustment. And during that period of adjustment, you have people working through their emotional response to change and their productivity tends to dip because they're learning new things, they're learning new ways of doing things. And in this particular case with ESR, they're also learning new technology. And so that J curve is something that 
is to be expected and everyone goes through that curve slightly differently but it goes to illustrate that we can't expect a change to happen overnight and we can't expect productivity to increase the moment that the change is in effect but instead we have to expect every single individual to go through this curve and some will go through it faster than others some will dip more than others um, but managing that dip and managing that curve really is a part of the emphasis on why we do change management the way we do for ESR. Great, good explanation. So the, the first half of 2020 was gonna be jam-packed anyway with a bunch of big ESR releases. Then, then we took on the COVID situation. So what did it take to you know, keep all that work on track and pull everything off despite the big challenges from the COVID pandemic? The short answer is really amazing people within and outside of ITS. When COVID first started to have its impact, right, when the uh, stay-at-home order kicked in, the immediate things that were being impacted would would be things like on-campus training. Training was something that had always been planned to take place through multiple mediums, including instructor-led training on-site and in-person. And those type of activities uh, had to be adjusted almost instantly in order to make sure that the impact of COVID did not have a, a, as big of an adverse impact on our ability to perform new, new processes and new, and new technology functions. And so I would say there's a lot of really amazing people to, to help make those adjustments. But when you really step back and you look at the pandemic adding a ton to some parts of the organization in terms of workload to respond to the health and safety needs of the campus. It also eliminated things like commute for people like me, people who are driving in from different parts of the the county and some people outside of the county. And it allowed for more focused work for some people, meaning there's less distractions. You're not spending all of your time in, in the car. You're not sitting in close proximity with others where you might benefit from a bit of focus time and focus work. And so in some ways, while it took away from our focus and our uh, capacity to work on ESR releases, it also benefited it uh, in different ways. And so I would say that when it first happened, there's no way to predict what the impact would be. You can take some guesses. And what I would say is that the, the real reason why we were able to keep everything on track is is the people, both within and outside of ITS. But when you kind of look at all the different pros and cons of having this pandemic happen right in the middle of all of these launches, it definitely had positives as well as negatives. And speaking of those releases, let's just try to recap each of them briefly, get your take. So flashback to January, we have our quality research and COI that have gone live. How are they doing? They're doing really well. Um, They're largely through stabilization. They have an established governance now pushing to take advantage of new system functionality to its full extent. There's lots of uh, changes and enhancements that are happening as we work closely with Kuali to shape their product roadmap. But I would say that the biggest impact that uh, moving to a configuration uh, of a system rather than having to build every piece of the functionality is that the pace has really picked up in the way that we're able to respond to the changing needs of the institution. When UCPAP launched and when Oracle Finance launched, all of the changes that needed to be made for Kowali Research and COI were all accommodated largely through the integrations that we've built, uh, having to tweak those, as well as through the configuration of the software. Echo Time, how's he doing? How's it doing? 
<laughs> he, it, she, uh, yeah, eco time uh, is, um, is definitely an area that the campus is uh, working through. Eco time uh, was selected because it was an incumbent. It had a footprint uh, largely in a couple of areas of campus, including the medical center and health sciences. And so in the effort to get UC PATH out the door uh, with accurate and timely paychecks, we needed to standardize on something that would generate the time files that UC PATH needed to issue paychecks. And so EcoTime didn't quite go through the same selection process as we've done with other projects. And so naturally, some of the fit gaps, some of the, the, the bumps and bruises, as well as uh, some of the needs that we're relying on the vendors to address are all pain points. I would say that EcoTime stabilization it isn't quite comparable to the size and scale of what the change was and, and, and what the impact should be. But the stabilization is happening. Uh, we're getting to a point in time now where we will be transitioning care and support over to the payroll office. And so that's basically where we're at with equal time. All right. Yeah. And speaking of payroll and, and UC Path, how's it doing? You know, the good news is 12 years later, uh, thank goodness it's done. UC Path uh, was a tremendous cross-functional effort. Uh, the teams that supported UC Path, as well as making sure that EcoTime was able to launch timely in anticipation of UC Path, has done a tremendous job. And I would say that UC Path going last for UC San Diego relative to the other campuses was a great decision. We were able to benefit from many of the lessons learned. And I would say that our go live had been the least eventful in a very positive way compared to some of the sister campuses that went before us. And July 1, the financial information system, a couple months in, how's it doing? Change, change, and more change. Uh, working through stabilization, we are benefiting quite a bit from our DIY approach to ESR, which allows us to now make changes when we feel like we've learned enough about how we've configured uh, our business process and the new system. And we're now able to go through and make those configuration changes, uh, integration changes, as well as different business processes that are being refined as we learn more about our future state. And so the ability to do that quickly and with UCSD colleagues is the outcome that we were hoping for. So seeing that in effect is really rewarding, despite the fact that the stabilization is bumpy, as one would expect with the size and scale of changing our chart of accounts and everything that goes into financial management, not to mention procurement, uh, as well as expense management and travel were all things that were in scope. And so this is, this is what I would consider to be one of the biggest change that we were expecting. And so working through what would be a six month stabilization through the end of the calendar year is still what we're expecting. Uh, although data would suggest that we're making great progress as we look to see the uh, types of questions that are coming in through our services and support channels are moving from you know, the typical, how do I do something? to now much more sophisticated and nuanced questions uh, as people become more familiar with how things are done in the new environment. And uh, an activity hub uh, was launched in conjunction with pretty much each of these aforementioned releases. So what's the general status of the activity hubs and how well they're, they're doing their jobs? We want more data <laughs> and we want documentation to go with that data. That's what we're hearing. Activity hubs uh, coming in shortly thereafter the implementation of these transactional systems was to be expected, right? But I think the recognition that 
the ability for people to wrap their minds around data and to push decision support and decision making to the lowest level of the organization possible where context can be applied is fundamentally one of the key investment and return on all of the things that we're doing with ESR. And so I would say that activity hubs is the area of, of investment for the university, not only in the form of moving data and modeling data, as well as learning how to use Cognos and Tableau, but it really is how the campus community will internalize this new enterprise uh, capability and then take full advantage of it. So what we're seeing with activity hubs is that the demand for access to more data for multitudes of reasons is indicative that the campus is starting to realize what it has available to it. And we're, you know, three or so years into the ESR experience, you know, what have you learned? What surprised you the most? Those kind of things. So what I've learned is that so much about ESR is creating a belief system that it could be done. And what I've learned is, and in some ways, um, surprise at the same time, is how many people will not support something they don't believe in or that they don't believe can be done. And so what I've witnessed over the last three, three and a half years now is that as people come to believe something can be done, they get behind it. They internalize that it's happening. They start to learn. And there's this switch in everyone's minds that happen at different points in time where they either believe something is going to be possible or they believe that something is not going to be possible. And that's one of the key discoveries, so to speak, uh, that I've really taken away from uh, the last three years. Now, what I've been surprised the most about is just how much there is to learn. I mean, no matter how many times you've gone through it, there's always something that could have been done better. And so every time I work with, you know, whether it's a project manager, uh, a technical expert, uh, we talk about, you know, in hindsight, there's hundreds of things that people would do differently uh, now that they've gone through it just this one time, or maybe, uh, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth time, and that uh, there's always the opportunity to improve. Um, ESR is founded, if you will, on like, using vended products and the idea of configuration over customization. So we've got lots of deployments in place. How is that model held up and how is that model going? So I alluded to this earlier when we were talking about Kowali and the best way that I would describe it is it allows us to align the pace of change in our business processes and our systems with the pace of the business. So what I mean by that is with all these different major deployments now in place, and some of them are in stabilization, some of them post-stabilization, what we're seeing is a substantial increase in our ability to keep up with, with change. And so leveraging the system's configurability and or new feature releases, um, as the business develops certain needs, we are much more able to respond to that with comparable pace in terms of change. So this is super important because as you know, we all know, the business is changing um, as well at a rapid pace. I look at COVID, look at you know, everything that's happening as it relates to learning analytics and some of the things that are uh, shifting in the educational um, community, uh, the ability to keep up is now mission critical. And so think of it as 
the needs of the institution operating at a, at a certain clip and our ability to keep up with that clip really uh, dictates whether or not we're actually able to support the university. And so as we move from coding everything ourselves to coding only the things that we deem strategically advantageous or that you know there is no market for that type of functionality, I would say that having the bulk of our uh, software solutions be configuration based instead of customization does give us now the ability to respond to the needs as well as to drive demand for new functionality much, much faster. What comes next with ESR? Aside from the, uh, the, the usual continuous improvement, um, there's, of course, the foundation, uh, as I alluded to earlier, when we talked about the activity hubs, is now let's figure out how to get more out of the investment and more out of all of these new capabilities. And so the way I look at it is ESR has a direct effect on business processes, hopefully for the better in many, many, many cases, if not all cases. Um, over time, as we improve on those processes, we will see the effects of that on the business community. Now, what it also does with our streaming data analytics, as well as our integration capability and some of the new features that are going to become available out of these new vendor products is advanced analytics and data-driven decision support. And so the ability to now take not just how we do business and making sure that we do it well and do it with quality and in a very efficient way, we now have the ability to improve on our ability to analyze our business. And so uh, advanced analytics and data-driven decision support comes as an output from making all the changes that we're making and putting in all the scaffolding and the infrastructure that we're investing in. And of course, the natural progression to the most efficient processes is now robotics process automation. How do you go from very decentralized, highly manual and variance in our way of doing business to now streamlined, efficient, and hopefully standardized processes to then how do we automate? And so I would say that the next pieces of, you know, what comes after ESR besides just continuously improve on how we've deployed the software and the business processes is to then really empower that data-driven decision support to the to the university and then go straight towards, you know, business process automation. And, uh, and I think those are the areas that I would see coming after ESR. Last question, how and when will we know if ESR is successful? So this is a really, uh, really interesting one. The obvious and the sort of the, the, the easy response would be when the scope is done on time and on budget. Right. That's the that's the tip, prototypical uh, response for any project or program. Now, you go one step further, you would say that it's successful when we've realized many of the efficiencies and the savings, and we've been able to capture, measure, and document the impact of business process improvements. That would be, I would say, the step up from it. Um, but if you then take a big step back and you say, you know, when a major change initiative is imagined, post ESR, and everyone in the room inherently knows that we, UC San Diego, can lead it and pull it off. That's when you know that folks uh, here have 
the belief system that they can pull off ESR just they can just like they can pull off anything else afterwards. It's probably already happening in the Zoom room near you. Um, if some of you uh, have had any conversations like that, you would know what I'm talking about. But at the end of the day, finishing the projects, finishing it on time within the budget constraints, and then documenting all of the improvements that have been made from a business process perspective is the sort of the, the guts of it. And then at a bigger scale or at a at a bigger picture perspective, it really is a belief system that we can do something like this. And everything else after this would seem like a much smaller effort and a smaller mountain to overcome. Thank you, Kevin. We appreciate your insights. Great. Thanks. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.